Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. And Merry Christmas. Tonight, you are being summoned, called to Bethlehem. The hymns that we've sung thus far have not been subtle about this reality. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. O come and behold him born, the king of angels. Come to Bethlehem and see him whose birth the angels sing. Come adore on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn King. I was talking this afternoon with my sister-in-law about the hymnody of the church. And one of the great things about the hymns is that they teach you the Bible. They teach you the faith. They teach you the story of redemption. And so you could just... Uh, not listen to this sermon. Well, please listen. But you know what I'm saying? You can just take home your service booklet and spend the 12 days of Christmas reflecting on the liturgy and reflecting on all these salient points in which our hymnody brings out. You're being summoned to Bethlehem. Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be registered for taxation. But this decree is but a shadow, a typological parody of the decree issued from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that all the world in and through him might come unto him and be registered for salvation. That by the precious blood of the Lamb of God, our names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. So let us journey mystically to Bethlehem. Let us with all zeal make haste to find and worship the one lying in the manger and pledge our fealty, not to Caesar, but to the true king, kneeling before the Lord, our maker. Let us join the throng of angels and archangels. Let us contemplate together the glorious mystery of the incarnation and nativity of our Lord. That the Word, the second person of the Trinity, became flesh and dwelt among us. Said plainly that God was born. The mystery that God was born, not according to his divinity, of course, for the Son is eternally begotten of the Father, but according to his humanity. God became man and was born of the Virgin Mary. That is why she is called the Theotokos, literally the God-birther, for the one to whom she gave birth is God. This boggles the mind and should fill the heart with wonder. The baby Jesus lies in a makeshift crib, ostensibly weak, 
and helpless. Yet, He is the mighty Savior, the all-powerful, the Lord of heaven and earth. Not helpless, but the help of all who put their trust in Him. Think about this. The baby Jesus was held by his mother Mary on that holy night. Yet, he held her and he held all things. Every part of the creation, the wood that made the manger, was all made through him and for him. Paul tells us, St. Paul writes that all things, speaking of Jesus, were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus at the incarnation did not empty himself of his divinity. He did not cease to be God even for a moment, but rather he emptied himself by taking up universal human nature, by becoming flesh, by being found in the form of a human being, by being found in the form of a servant. That's what he did. That's the mystery that we celebrate this evening. But why? Why did God become Man, St. Athanasius, defender of the faith at the Council of Nicaea, famously wrote that he, that is Jesus, became what we are so that he might make us what he is. The end for which you were created, and there is no exception to this, the end for which you, a human being, were created. Your reason for being is union with God. To know Him, to love Him, and be loved by Him, and to be united with Him. Peter puts it this way, to become a partaker of the divine nature. And it is the incarnation that makes that union with God possible. Christ unites us to God by uniting us to Himself. The Nicene Creed says that for us and for our salvation, he came down for heaven. It's for our salvation that he was born and salvation is union with God. That's what we were saved for. But there were obstacles to that union, things that we needed to be saved from. Namely, sin, death, and Satan. As the prophet Isaiah says, and we just heard this, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. We were in darkness, enslaved, And Christ came to save us. Last week, our family went to SeaWorld. And we saw the show A Wondrous Night. And it was good. You know, I'm not going to hate on it. Especially when you think, okay, 2023, you're not in a church, you're in a theme park. 
And you're hearing Christmas carols. You're hearing the name of Jesus. So when you take into consideration that, you know, I'll, I'll give them kudos for that. I was actually surprised in many ways. And it was funny. I mean, the whole thing was the nativity from the perspective of the animals there. And look, uh, I'm a Christmas maximalist. That means I love all the traditions, all the stuff. I'm there for it. And I often find myself being an apologist for how many of the seemingly secular festivities surrounding Christmas are actually Christian in origin, or they can be appropriated uh, to bring attention and glory to Jesus. I mean, I love telling people this, that Santa Claus is Christian. Long before, did you guys know this? Long before Tim Allen put on the suit. If you, you know this movie, okay, obligatory laugh. There was the original St. Nicholas, the original St. Uh, Santa Claus. His name was St. Nicholas of Myra. He lived a long time ago in the 4th century AD. Who, by the way, this is great. He was present at the Council of Nicaea. And there's a story, it may be a legend, but there's a lore around it, that he may have slapped Arius, the arch-heretic, in the face for his blasphemy. So Santa Claus don't play. I mean, do you know why you hang stockings over, well, you don't, none of us have fireplaces, so below your TV uh, on a ledge, you know? wherever it is, your hearth, whatever that may be. Do you know why you do that? Well, it's because St. Nicholas used to give gifts to people in secret. There's one famous story of a man who became destitute and he had three daughters and he didn't know how he was going to afford their dowry. And girls back then didn't have a lot of options. They couldn't go get jobs. So he was scared that he was going to have to, that they were going to be forced into slavery. And so St. Nicholas gave them money in secret. And so as he gives them money for the first daughter, second daughter, then by the, th- the third time he's going to do it, the dad wants to find out who's giving these gifts in secret. So St. Nicholas has to get sneaky. He would throw gold through the window. And one time as he gave this gift to them in secret, it landed in socks drying by the fire. So thus stocking. So... Anyways, back to SeaWorld, okay. So you know where I'm coming from. Here's what was missing from the show, or at least muted. That Jesus saves us from sin, death, and Satan. Some of the lines in the Christmas carols were conspicuously edited. But what does the angel say? For unto you is born this day in the city of David an inspiration. Yes, Christ is inspiring. The love of God inspires us to love one another, to be kind. Those are good things. But it's more than that. For unto you is born this day a moral exemplar. Yes, but more than that. A sage, a wise man, yes, but more than that. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. He was born so that we could be born again, born from above. 
the name of Jesus means. His mission is in his name. It means the Lord saves. Yahweh saves. Matthew chapter 1. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus saves us indeed. He saves us, his people, by his life, his death, and his resurrection. Jesus conquers death by his death. And that Jesus' death would be the means by which he would give us life is embedded and foreshadowed in the infancy narratives. Even at his birth, he is the crucified and risen one. Born, tradition tells us, in a cave, picturing the tomb in which he would be laid and from which he would arise. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes, foreshadowing the cloths which would wrap his body, the cloths he would be buried in. He's laid in a manger. What is a manger? A manger is a feeding trough. So laid in a manger is the bread of life, the one who would give his flesh for the life of the world. Laid in a manger, nursed among animals, is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So let us behold him. Let us not only go to Bethlehem, but to the manger and kneel before the Lord, our maker, our redeemer, our savior, who gives us life. He who is the king of angels, the Lord of glory, the light of the world, the lamb of God, the God, man, savior of the world, Jesus Christ, our Lord, born this day, who with the father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns one God, world without end. Amen.